Blog Talk Radio. There's something outside. What is that? Monster X Radio, and this is Gunner. With me today is Shane Hardcore Corson, and we're going to uh, get back on track doing some uh, live shows, or not live, but recorded shows every Sunday. Um, we kind of got off uh, track doing that. We, with exclusive, finding the time to to do both exclusive shows and shows every Sunday. Um, but now we've had people asking us for the Sunday shows, and uh, so you ask where you're getting it, and today, Shane and I are going to talk about uh, where Bigfoot is headed this time of year. We've went from, we're moving from winter to spring, and now spring to summer, and how does that, in fact, we're supposed to have like some 80-degree weather in Oregon this, this coming weekend, which is almost unheard of this time of year. And uh, what does that do to the movement? Where is Bigfoot going to be most likely? What's that do to Bigfoot's movement? We're also going to talk about upcoming events. Um, Shane's got a busy speaking schedule this summer, and uh, including this weekend. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the upcoming first official Monster X event scheduled for Seattle on June 8th. With me today is my good friend and Consummate Bigfoot researcher, Mr. Shane Hardcore Corson. Shane, how are you? I'm doing well, Gunner. Doing well, and uh, glad to be here. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's such. It's going to be such a busy year uh, with some of these speaking engagements, but that's not taken away from the time in the field. In fact, this upcoming week. Uh, well, this weekend I have a, a speaking engagement down in Cave Junction, Oregon, the uh, Sasquatch Golf and uh, Wine Symposium down there where I'm hosting a town hall event this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And if you can make it down to Cave Junction, Oregon, it's going to be a great event. If you're in the area, please show up and say hello uh, to uh, myself and and uh, many of the other individuals going to be present there. It's going to be a fun event. I'm looking forward to it. Having said that, though, really looking forward to my turnaround event, which is going to be spending four days out in the, the woods of the Olympics with uh, a few fellow researchers uh, in an area of interest, uh, really close to our base camp in the Olympics, the OP headquarters. We're going to spend four days out there 
camping and hiking and exploring and recording and all of that good stuff. Uh, I've got a lot of expectations for this particular trip, but it's the right time of year to be in this area. So I'm really looking forward to this trip. Well, I know one of the people that are going out with you is our, our good friend Todd Hale. And Todd's a kick in the pants to be out in the field with. And uh, we're going to get Todd on and talk to him about, because he's kind of like flies under the radar, but he's been involved in some of the, you know, interesting Bigfoot events that people, most people in the Bigfoot field anyway are familiar with. He has kind of a unique, his own unique perspective of, of those events. And uh, he's, he's a cool guy. I like, remember Todd went up with us to, uh, with Chris and uh, Rebecca to the nest site and Todd went I didn't know people could actually fly until I saw Todd launch backwards off of a a side hill and fly about 15 feet and landing on his back. And fortunately, he, I mean, he was shook up a little bit, but wasn't hurt. That was, you know, you can laugh about it now, but at the time it was pretty scary. You know, you could always think what, what the heck, you know, if you'd have landed on the rock, you landed, you could be impaled. I mean, it's a lot of things can go wrong when you lose control of your footing out in the field, but Todd was all right and uh, got up and hiked the rest of that. And that's not easy hiking in there. Um, and he's always just, he's just fun to be around. You know, um, I like, like to get with Todd and drink a few beers and, and, uh, and the Bigfoot story started rolling. I'm excited to hear what you guys come up with. Um, you recently recorded some interesting audio up in that area. Don't know what it was, but it sure, it matches some signatures when you look at it of uh, some other suspect video. Since we don't, you know, we never really say, oh, it's Bigfoot because we didn't see Bigfoot do it. But you get this exclusionary evidence, which by exclusionary means we know what it wasn't. And it, it gets down to, well, it's either an unknown audio event by a known animal that we didn't know previously, which is all, would be cool in itself, or it's it's some audio by an unknown animal. It'll be interesting to see what you guys come up. That area is, is a hotbed for Bigfoot sightings. Um, I've done a few expeditions up in that area myself. And uh, there was a report that you talked about briefly um, a little bit ago, real recent, of a post postal worker that had a sighting of something weird on the side of the road up there. What was that? Can you fill us in a little bit again? Yeah, so uh, we have not followed up with this individual. He, uh, it, It's in the works here, but basically this was a postal delivery guy, you know, a postal worker that delivers the mail daily. This guy particularly works up in the Olympics. He delivers mail up there, and he was driving along the road in the evening hours uh, and saw something standing up on the side of the road. And as he's getting closer and closer to this uh, subject, this individual, this thing, it crouched down. And as he's passing by, he knows that it, it was reddish in color. And, and as he described it, uh, like an orangutan, like a, a smaller orangutan. And that's really fascinating for a lot of reasons because there's been a lot of sightings of similar things up in this particular area up in the olympics over the years and historically speaking over the years there's been a lot of sightings of what 
people would des- describe as juvenile, whatever, Sasquatch, Bigfoot. They seem smaller in stature, reddish in color. But this particular individual, and I haven't followed up with him to get all the details yet or the exact location. I know the basic whereabouts as to the location, but I don't know the exact location. And this happened several weeks ago, right before um, Todd Hale, myself, and a group of individuals heard and recorded some really, really interesting sounds. And yeah, sounds, one of those of course, individuals are, was was Amy Bew, who came out from Ohio. So yeah, I mean, that, what that's awesome because folks came over from you know the middle of the United States, and uh, I was out with Amy in the Olympics a while back when during a one of the OPs public expeditions, and, and she's a kick in the pants too. Her with her uh, her pizza, is it a pizza tent that she has? <laughs> she had at the time. I mean, she, she just, she's a lot of fun, and she was a lot of fun too. But we had some experience. That was the night that uh, you chased something up the hill. Basically, we got a heat signature on the up on this hillside. Didn't know what it was, and hardcore Corson walks up this hillside through this clear cut towards whatever this heat signature is, which we later determined probably was a mama bear because there was two. When you you actually went to the site during the daylight hours and and found evidence that it was a bear uh, like well yeah that, yeah that, that I, just I, I actually, for me solidified your reputation as hardcore corson or, or a dumbass but uh either way it was well we don't bear, I, right? I like uh, hardcore better okay <laughs> there's well, a fine line between bravery and stupidity sometimes i mean <laughs> we, well we all experience that at different times yeah i'm well experienced in the woods this was a mama bear and there was a cub nearby uh i'm at the point in my life where I don't want to be ambiguous as to what I'm looking at or what a group's looking at. I'm going to figure out what it is. And so, yeah, I headed towards it and, yeah, I ended up being a mama bear. And I never saw the cub, but uh, having gone back to the next day and hearing the sounds that night, I knew that there was something else besides the mama bear coming at me. Yeah, it was a mama bear and cub. And she bluff charged me and peeled off, and everything was good and kosher. And we went back the next day and verified via the tracks and the claw marks and everything else that it was a a bear, and it looks like there was a smaller cub there as well. So, is what it is, you know. And uh, so, but to get back to <laughs> to get back to to the, the the recordings, yeah, I mean, they were very interesting recordings that we we heard in person. And uh, Todd Hale, this was a trip where we were taking a couple of zoologists out to the field to look at some nests. Not on this particular hike, we they'd already viewed the nests and whatnot. We were taking them to an area that we like to go to based on our activity and just a scenic, just a scenery in this area. So we took them out to this area and they had a great time. And on our way back down, we, we heard some really uh, what I would call unique and suspect sounds in this area. They, they didn't, you know, to the human ear, didn't sound like anything we were, we would call a, a coyote or a bear or a cougar or, or elk or deer or anything of that nature or human. But, you know, of course, human ears are a funny thing. They can play tricks on you. But everybody heard them, and, and fortunately, we got them recorded, and we did. We're, we're still working on those recordings, but looking at them visually, they are very interesting. And so it's an area that we've been working in for years, and we've got a lot of suspect sounds in. We've got some really interesting FLIR footage from uh, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff to that. But just a little area in this 
area that we work in that it's kind of like a, a pinching point or a crossroads, as David Ellis would call it, that we really focus on. And uh, we weren't expecting anything. This was just a day hike. We really weren't researching to our uh, deflect because we should have had recorders going. But thank God that, you know, Todd Hale was with us, and he was uh, filming some stuff with his cell phone, and we started hearing these sounds, and he hit record on his cell phone. Uh, one of the fallacies when it comes to uh, research or one of the errors people do constantly when it comes to Bigfoot research is the fact that you're never prepared. Uh, you just really aren't. You can be as prepared as you want to be, and you're never prepared enough. And this particular trip, we were just on a hiking. We weren't doing anything research-wise, but you know what? In the scheme of things, when you're in an area of interest and you're you know, it's one of those things you learn over time. You have to be recording all the time and ready for anything. And, yeah, we make mistakes as anybody else does out in the field or, you know, you know, average campers and whatnot. We make mistakes, and this was a mistake. But, fortunately, Todd Hill was recording, and he, he managed to capture these sounds, and they are interesting. They're very interesting sounds. And we had, uh, you know, the zoologist with us. We had a, a number of people with us on this trip. And everybody thought it was dang interesting. So, you know, that aside, uh, there's a lot of work being done on that. And, of course, you had this recent sighting by this postal worker not too far away that saw what he saw, which he described as a young-looking orangutan, very muscular and whatnot. Now, we're still to talk to this guy and get all the details in the exact location. So, uh, But it's still interesting because – over the years in this particular area, we're talking miles, but in this particular area, there's been a lot of sightings of juvenile, what people would describe as a juvenile Sasquatch, a smaller Sasquatch. And so what does that mean? I don't know, but there's something to that because there's been so many similar sightings over the years of these smaller Sasquatch. And, of course, there have been sightings of larger-sized Sasquatch in these areas. And with the, with the recordings that we've uh, managed to capture, with some of the FLIR footage that is, is ambiguous, don't get me wrong, I'm not claiming these are Sasquatch we got on our FLIR, but they're, they are interesting based on their behavior and how they're acting and the time of night. What they look like. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're very yeah, cautious, I mean, and, and, and the Olympic project in particular is really cautious about declaring anything you know, making definitive statements about stuff. Internally, we, we may be a little more loose with, with some of our we, – we're more open with sharing our opinion. But the, the thing is, we, I mean, as far as what we think it might be, I mean, when you look at – there's every piece of evidence requires context. So when you start – and it's not – I can dare you tell you that if there's a group that's not going to put something out there unless it's the, like, the most definitive – glamour shot daylight footage it's going to be the op they they are, there's a lot of things that could be suspect but but the op is not about like like sensationalism it's about research and collecting evidence and if i'm pretty sure if you know we had a if if we had a sasquatch walk up and pose and take a picture eventually people would see it but there would still be a process it's just like the nest site the, you don't see the OP run into, you know, run into the internet on YouTube and posting pictures of oh Bigfoot nest, and and 
there's I mean the people that have seen them and and you're you've been there more than anybody, but because of the context of of this evidence. I'm I'm reasonably sure, and I I don't mind saying I think they were made by Bigfoot. I don't know what else made them, and I can say you you know we we got a lot of things we know that they weren't, and because of all the corroborating evidence that surrounds these, but it took a long time for us to get there. You know, it's like they were found, they were studied, they were uh, being remotely uh, videoed, and subsequently there were there was a sighting by Derek and his wife in near proximity to, to the nest. Um, and there's other history of sightings in this area. There's, you know, it's not one thing. It's nest, it's hair, and there's a predominance of a one particular hair that's been, you've spent a, a lot of time picking through in fine detail and finding these different hairs. And the predominance of this one particular hair in these dif different pieces of nest indicate point to the fact that whatever left this hair is what made these nests just because there's other hair in there of of other oh, and that right. have been identified as known animals but this there is this predominance of of this hair that has been analyzed our good friend Cindy Dawson has looked at it it's you know and determined what it's not and again it it matches up with some other hairs in her her collection of hairs that were collected in association with some of those being in related to a Bigfoot sighting. So it isn't, I, I don't, I don't care if people bash me or not. I, I look at them and I'm like, okay, we know it's either a behavior that a known animal did that has this weird hair that doesn't match any known animal or or it's an animal that left behind hair, and it's an unknown animal that we don't have, uh, isn't isn't classified and documented in the public, you know, the public being aware of it. I I think it's Bigfoot. Yeah. I mean, I, there's there's just too much, you know, from the the rocks that are there that were scored to the to the hair to the the fact there was scat found around the nest. Very, these nests look like gorilla. What gorillas make? E even a practice nest in a bush. So much looks like gorilla. I must, and we know that there's not, you know, wild gorillas running around the OP. And uh, and now, right. you know, and then something that looks like and and orangutan is is a fairly common comparison of of some Bigfoot sightings. So we either got wild orangutans in the Pacific Northwest, or we've got something else. And and it's, I mean, Bigfoot. That there's, we know, and I and I say Bigfoot's real. I mean that because I know too many people, you among them, the people that are I find credible, that have had have seen them, and I haven't seen them myself. I've experienced some really weird stuff in the woods that I can't explain by any known animal. But this there's a big there, there's this population of these um, undocumented, unclassified animals running around that are leaving footprints that's in the historical record. It's but I digress. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well you brought up you brought up so many points there I wanted to to talk about because you're right. I mean uh, you know when it comes to the nest site or just Sasquatch uh research or or stuff that we collect over time, 
there's so much not shared to the general public. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, I'm speaking for as an OP member, but there's other groups out there that do the same thing. They they've got lots of stuff in their data banks, or or they're they're kind of hesitant to share uh, because you know, faith, uh, beyond the, uh, and this is no offense to anybody out there that uses these social media sites, but Sasquatch is not going to be proven on Facebook. It, you can argue Somebody about really it smart all day on that. Facebook. Or, <laughs> well, yes, yes, but not just on Facebook. Any social media site, it's just not going to be done. That's not how uh, it should work. It's not how science works. It's it, it's really silly. And so, yes, uh, we do. We can argue about Bigfoot on on Facebook. Yeah, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> but <laughs> to get, but but to get down to the specifics here. You know, I mean, it's not going to be proven on Facebook. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that it's not going to be proven on social media. It has to go through a vetting process. And if what you have in your possession, even though you may find it, as, you know, as a, a, a citizen scientist or as a, a layman or whatever investigator, really compelling or interesting, it's not that going to be that great on social media, and it's not going to be that great sharing the science. It's a slow process. It's a gradual process where you collect this stuff. You collect, you collect, you collect, and you learn from that. And at one point in time, maybe, just maybe, that collection of data, whether it's on paper, it's audio, it's visual stuff, when you have a collection of stuff that's really compelling and if something bigger happens, you can share that. That's what the OP is really about, and there's other groups out there. I, I, I always hate to uh, – belittle other groups. I never do that. Uh, there's other individuals and groups doing great stuff out there, and I always want to give them kudos because there, there really is. They don't share stuff Moa on Facebook. It's is one a, of the a lot of that jumps to mind. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I got mad props yeah. for those guys. You know, um, and, and many other uh, uh, solo researchers and investigators and whatnot. So, yes, we have... I could start ticking them off. Of I mean, stuff. yeah. I mean, yeah. And we're friends with a lot of them. Chris Spencer is is another guy that's yeah. out there all the time doing good work. So exactly. but he flies under the radar. Exactly. So he does. There's a lot of people fly under the radar, and kudos to them. Now, I, I, I you know, I'll, I'm sorry. I like to share some stuff out there, not as teasers. Uh, I like to get feedback and stuff. And of course, we do monster exclusive where we share some of the stuff in the group because these are people that, you know, they really want to know what's going on and, and want to follow the research and stuff. I, I, I will never lead anybody on in the wrong direction, or um, I will never lie to them. I will share what I have uh, up until what I can and uh, and go from there. But there's a lot of good stuff out there. Just, you know, it's not going to be shared on these, these groups or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. That's silly. I mean, it's just silly. And uh, now well, not, not saying yeah. that what I have in my possession is, is an absolute. No, far from it. But what it is is a collection of stuff from different areas that I feel that there's something maybe more to it. And so it makes it interesting to me and hopefully to others it's interesting to them. And if they want to follow, kudos to them, and I can share stuff with them. And I collaborate with we, – we collaborate with a lot of people, Gunnar. We collaborate with a lot of different individuals oh, yeah. and people, and it's, it's such a fun endeavor. Now, well, you, you know, know uh, what I know. like to say, it's collaboration, not competition. There you go. That's just one of my many gunnerisms. Oh, no, exactly. No, yeah, <laughs> you, gun, you, have a, 
you have a ton of them, and I love them all. You know, the, the, the moving needle in a haystack is one of my favorite ones that you've uh, come along with, which is very true. But I use it all the time, and yes, I do give you credit. I really got to start <laughs> copywriting these things. You do, you do. You got to start copywriting. But it's very true. In a lot of, if I had a, a nickel. Ways, so. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. But there is some cool uh, stuff that you, you touched on some of the stuff that we've shared inside of Exclusive that we don't share outside. And part of that is because there's things that I have experienced. To me, Exclusive is like talking around the campfire with a bunch of friends. I don't want to deal with a lot of crap from people that, that don't know me, that just are, are online to argue about whatever you say or whatever you present that they want to, you know, play uh, Doubting Thomas or, or the Devil's Act. But I, I, I don't share anything that I haven't vetted pretty well, as is the case with you. And we've got some really cool stuff inside of that's happening in North Carolina that, that is – we're not going to share that in public you know, because we'll answer the questions and we can and interact with the people inside. It's a small enough group that we can just have those discussions without it, you know, degrading and derailing. Business. What happens? What happens in face on Facebook? And it, and and that to me is a lot of fun. I don't mind like answering questions about stuff that I present. I want to know. I I'm always like and I, I and I'll quote. Shelly Covington, Montana, Bigfoot last. I mean, that's, that's the filter that I use, and I know that you use when you're looking at evidence. And so even when we talked about some of the really strange things that are happening with Julie um, in North Carolina, we put it out there as like, if you can identify this as some uh, other than a known animal or you're familiar with these sounds or have heard these sounds in your area, Contact us because we want to, you know, run it through another filter of what is it? Uh, it's funny because I refer to Julie as one of those people that, that I call the, re the reluctant witness that has had some weird stuff happen. She recorded these weird sounds, and she uh, made a connection with, with our good friend David Ellis. And her hope when she sent these, these audio to David was that it would come back. I don't know. That's this. This is oh no you don't have, that's not anything weird it's it's wild boars or it's it's coyotes or whatever and unfortunately or fortunately depending on what if you're living on the west coast or have bigfoot in your backyard it came back as as suspect and matching some other suspect audio stuff that David has had experience with right. it match in some cases things that are associated with bigfoot. You know, until we videotape or, or visually see Bigfoot vocalizing a particular sound and record it um, and can match those two things, it ends up being suspect because we don't have the baseline to compare it to. So Exactly. You, exactly. you end up and, with and these things just, just like the hair from the nest. I mean, it's, it's not any known animal, so it's an not unknown any, animal. Not, not, no, yeah, and that's the thing too, you know. When you're talking about audio recordings that are suspect, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen on social media sites, well, that sounds like such and such. You know, it sounds like a this. And then these guys never do take the time to learn how to look at stuff visually. They never do. Even some of your, your major academic um, people I respect that do this for, as a profession where they're in the field and record sounds and get very familiar with sounds. 
they never take the time to visually look at something. Now, I'm not saying just because you look at something visually on a sonic visualizer program um, that it, it is not what it is. But if, if, in fact, you're listening to something and it doesn't fit the parameter, well, that's science right there. Then, well, it doesn't fit in within, you know, sound, this is what I think it is, but is it? And if it is, then you just learn something like, well, that coyote or whatever, that animal can, can make vocalizations outside of the frequency of what I thought they could. People don't do that, especially, you know, uh, laymen who just listen to it. I, I was reading a couple of posts the other day where people were talking about specific sounds they were hearing. And, oh, this sounds like this, man. They're every, every, you know, comments are, you know, uh, and, and ideas are like, you know what, right? Everybody's got one. But nobody takes the time to to really look at what they're listening to. They'll listen to and go, oh, that's this and that. But you know what? There's a science behind listening. It's called looking at and looking at these sounds. And that's a whole other thing. It's come, it, you know, to get back to the nest stuff, it's the same thing. You know, when we shared some of the nest stuff, uh, we shared a lot of the nest study stuff in some, you know, symposiums and whatnot, and we shared some stuff online, and it has Dr. Meldrum and whatnot, and everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's an expert, right? And we never claim to be an expert. All we claim is that these are unknown nests, unknown behavior, with unknown hair, not claiming to be Sasquatch. You know, and I, you know, to tell the public, I have my suspicions as to what made these, based on a lot of stuff, based on a lot of research yeah, that I've done over the years. I, you know, it, so. I'm not going to directly come out and say that, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, <laughs> this is so it, – it is such an amazing I'll take thing. Hit. Okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> you take the no, hit. I, and and I, I don't mean, really I mean, care yeah. because I don't care. Here's the thing. I don't care what your average person's opinion is, and I don't mean to offend anybody by saying that. Is I put the You're time in. I've, I've reached out to enough individuals. I've had enough um, cre- accredited individuals into this area. To tell me that they don't know what this is, they don't know what the hair is, and that. So I don't care. Um, now, some, you know, I do care. I mean, I, I love to hear people's opinions and whatnot. But when I get those certain individuals that are just so adamant about telling me what exactly it is, or you're an idiot, or this that, you know, when you have somebody that's been in the logging field, that's been working in, you know, for a company for 25 plus years. Hiking the train solely, he's running into bears. This individual is running into the bears, and every—I mean, everything else, all sorts of nests, everything—and he comes across something that is like shocking to him, shocking to him, and he realizes that. What, who do you, re- who do you reach out to? This. Yeah, who do you reach who out to? Who do you reach to? out to? Well, yeah, that is somebody that he knew. Let alone, yeah, who, who you reach out to? Let alone. Here's something that is so profound to him that he's never seen before that he knows is something special, whether it's Sasquatch or not, and he never mentioned Sasquatch, but he knew that it was something special. Science should be like latching on to that and going, okay, well, here's a guy that's an expert in his field you know, as to his job title, and he's come across something in his you know, 25-plus years that he doesn't recognize. That's something special. I mean, I don't care who you are. It doesn't have to be Sasquatch. It could be bear activity. It could be any sort of animal activity. That, to me, is like an amazing thing to document and record because 
you came across something in your that you know these are guys that go you know this particular uh, uh, logger uh, surveyor he had never seen anything like this before. That's amazing to me. It and was compelling be, enough to to move him to get a hold of Derek, which says exactly, a lot. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, it would have really been easy yeah. for him to like blow it off. Eh, oh, okay. and I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that's happened time and time again because, you know, when it comes to these particular uh, companies and whatnot, they have a quota, they have a job to, you know, to do. And, you know, it's like, you know, forget the woods. You're downtown Seattle and you got a job to do and you're, you know, construction worker and you come across maybe a bone. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of them get reported as they have, but I'm sure sometimes they don't. They just don't. People are like, we have to get this done by yesterday, and so nobody sees that. When I worked in Joss Tree National Park, I saw, uh, as a tree transplanter, I saw cover-ups like you wouldn't believe. And I'm not talking about anything conspiratorial. I'm just saying, oh, did you, you know, crash flying saucers? People, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, I've been around the country, uh, specifically in the West Coast, and I've been on a lot of job sites, and may, many people listening to the show will know exactly what I'm talking about, where people just, you know, you got a job to do, and whatever relic, bone, whatever you found doesn't mean – or, or uh, protected species doesn't mean anything, and people cover it up, and he's got a job to do, and we didn't see it, blah, blah. It happens all the time. It's nothing conspiratorial. It's just people have jobs to Little do. Bit. I'm sure there have been other nests found. Maybe not recognized, or maybe recognized as something uh, unique, and uh, not paid any regards to because they have a job to do. You know, so I'm just well, first, you know, yeah. throwing it out there because just, I really believe that's happening. Yeah. Well, we've had that conversation before. Is this the events of the OP nest site was the perfect storm? You had the the right person having the right connection, and Thinking about like thinking it was odd enough to contact the guy that they knew from previous experience in, in and not associated with Bigfoot. He just knew he was a Bigfoot researcher, and he he thought it was weird enough to get a hold of him to come and look at it. So that's a, I mean that's a huge like uh, hmm that is big. It, you can't overemphasize, like, here's this guy with this immense amount of outdoor experience that goes to places other people don't go fastly. And and where where the nest site is is not someplace that is frequently trafficked by humans. And it hadn't been logged in, a, in like, what, 50 years? It hasn't been logged in, like, 50 years. Oh, no, no, and, yeah, easy. Yeah. And it ain't easy to get to. And... He happened to run across – I mean, first of all, he had to run across them, you know, and he didn't find all of them. He found a, a few, and then the Olympic Project went in there and and discovered a, a bunch more. Yeah. What are we up to, 21? Is that what it is, or is there more now? Uh, I would I would say 21 and a half. Well, or 22. Uh, if you put the two uh, bush nests into the picture, which are built off the ground in the same fashion as the ground nest in conjunction with the ground nest, but in two different areas, not the same area, but anyways. Um, yeah, so and, that, and, that and, alone is and, a fascinating yeah. thing. And, and kudos to Derek for not dropping the ball on it. He 
went in there, saw them, thought, you know, and then went home and did some research and found out that the thing that they most looked like were gorilla nests. <laughs> like, um, hmm, you know, this has been an ongoing research project for, what, three years now? I mean, it's it's been going yeah, on for a while. Yeah, almost almost uh almost four years now and it's been uh, it's still ongoing now uh right get, and one of the questions i get all the time is you know uh, oh you know is anything returned well yeah we found some interesting in, uh, impressions uh down along the base of the nest site uh, or some of these nest uh, site locations along these fingers no i don't think anything's come through there uh they're not using the nest again no, they're not. No, they don't. It doesn't look like anything's used the nest since. Yeah. But that's. But, but honestly, that's what I expect. I don't expect something to come back and use these nests. And that's a whole nother show and thought process there as to why I believe that and why others believe that. Um, I think there's a lot of reason to say that. We're not dealing with, you know, when we say these nests resemble, you know, gorilla nests. Well, gorillas make nests for a night and they take off. They rarely return to them. Um, so there's a big difference in gorilla behavior to possibly whatever built these nest behavior. At the same time, they're constructed and built relatively the same, much larger in some circumstances. And, you know, we've talked about different sized nests. So that to me is fascinating. Uh, but we're, I'm not saying we have a, a gorilla in North America. We have some, you know, if these in fact are Sasquatch nests, yeah, it's something quite Which different are. for obvious reasons, but very similar. And I think I got a lot of opinions as to why these nests were built at the time of year they were built in and uh, all that stuff. But, you know, that's a whole, like, it's that's a nursery. whole other conversation. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, well, very well could be. Yeah, I mean, you wonder, it, there's been effort now made to find a replication of this site, which has, hasn't happened yet, but we also have talked about if, why why this was done, um, and the variety of sizes of nests indicate that there was a number of individuals that were using these nests. They were used for a period of time, and then it, it looks like – I mean, as much hair as in there would indicate to me that they weren't used just overnight. I mean, unless whatever left the hair behind shed like my cat, um, it, <laughs> it just doesn't seem like – I mean, it doesn't seem – you know, if you start digging and, and we, we've had these conversations, but it doesn't seem like that this area was used for a period of time and then – and then kind of abandoned. Absolutely. And we yeah. don't know why. We yeah. don't know why after. I mean, you know, there's a number of reasons that the. Uh, but I don't think that. I, I am the. In my, and this is just my opinion, not necessarily opinion of uh, my views expressed on this broadcast are not necessarily opinions of Monster X Radio <laughs> or the OP or or Shane Corson. <laughs> but it could, you know, it could be that the human um, interaction in there caused them to not be used. But I just don't think that Bigfoot stays in one place for a long period of time. I think they're I think they're aware of their um footprint for a lack of yes pun intended. Or damage that they yeah. they damage know area, right yeah. that the the damage that they do to an area, you could not have a group of of these creatures in one area for any period of time and not leave a lot of sign. And where this area is they 
they obviously felt safe enough to be there for some period of time and under, understandably given where it is and how hard it is for people to get in there. And the, then we've talked about what, why, what, you know, you always wonder what, 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 why would have they have done this and put, went to the effort to build these nests and why aren't we finding these, you know, these nests everywhere throughout the woods? I just don't think they use them all the time. I think it was for a specific purpose and then they, such they the, moved such, on. Yeah. Such a legitimate question though. If, if in fact mm-hmm. if that's where we're going, such, I mean, so many great questions I've been asked over the years and, and many questions I've asked myself. Like I said, I don't want to get into all those things tonight, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you, there's specific reasons why I believe that there's a possibility that these are Sasquatch nests. And I'll, I guess I'm going to say oh, yeah, you there's said a possibility. It. Oh, I'm you not, said it. I did. Shane Corson I'm has gonna, claims – I'm going to see the headlines tomorrow. Uh, no, you're Hardcore not. Hardcore Corson claims <laughs> – Claims uh, Sasquatch nest built nest in the Olympic Peninsula. No, not claiming, not claiming that. But and, and <laughs> worked and 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 been around these nests so long and worked with other individuals. You know, I, I guarantee my eye. I have a good eye. I, I consider myself a good tracker. I can find a lot of stuff. When I bring in people with a better eye, with with backgrounds into these areas, and they tell me, and they're floored, and I see the shock and awe in their eye. Or I bring even, you know, other laymen to this area that are like, you know, hikers and hunters and campers and all that. They've been doing this for years in this Pacific Northwest because, you know, relatively speaking, I'm a transplant, you know, 2008. Uh, and I see the shock and awe on their face. You know, that, that speaks volumes to me. At least that tells me that I'm dealing with something that is not found very often and uh, something that has not been seen by many eyes. And that, to me, is special. Regardless of it's Sasquatch or not, that's pretty profound right there. And that's what most people don't realize is, you know, when you're, when you're a, a, a Bigfoot researcher or investigator or enthusiast and you are involved with something like this, you're – yes, I get it. You're automatically – they think, oh, you're, you got bias and all that stuff. Yeah, sure, of course. But when I bring in other people that, uh, you know, that are very skeptical – and or very scoptic or whatever, and they view the area, and whether it's a hunter, a fisherman, hiker, or a zoologist, or an or someone doing a podcast. Or, exactly. Took, I, I'll tell you the famous phrase <laughs> "blank chain," which is now T-shirt material. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think of t- people? Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean. Th- from zoologist to bear biologist to, I mean, I remember when I you took me and you wanted my opinion about what, and and I went, I wasn't there when they were brand new, but you could still see the obvious construction of these things. And when you looked around at the huckleberry in the area, you could see where it was growing back, but it, where it had been broken. And uh, one of the most profound things to me about that was hearing Derek Randall's initial description of how the decimation of the huckleberry on that ridge line when he first got there. Um, Derek, I respect Derek's outdoor, outdoor um, experience. And, and he's not, he's not one of those guys to BS you. Um, He's going to tell you what he thinks. And, and he found it profound enough to, 
spent a lot of time investigating it, as have you. So, you know, it's there's a lot of pieces, and we've talked, we beat these nests to death. But I mean, it's it's fascinating, and I you know I wish everybody who has an interest in Bigfoot could see go go visit the site and see them, and go back in time. Um, I, I just saw the Avengers, so I think that's actually possible now. I'm like, I'm looking for some infinite for the time infinity stone somewhere around there, but uh, you know, it it's fascinating, and it is it going to prove Bigfoot exists? No, probably not. Yeah, I mean, no, and that's no, it, 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 it but it's it not will. the project is not is not done by any to me. So, and there have been other stories in other occasions um, where people have found. Similar nests. We had we've had people on the show that, in conversation, like, oh yeah, well, I was crawling around, I found this thing that looked like a nest without knowing the context of the OP's investigation. And like, I remember that, right. and like, I could I could hear you through the the um, recording. I could hear your ears open. I'm like, well, he just said nest <laughs> because that's that's it. There's some confirmation of what. Okay, there's these things. Do pop up occasionally, but this was just the perfect situation, the perfect storm of the right guy, knowing the right guy that, you know, that, and that information being shared and, and then it being something that wasn't just dropped because I don't think 99.9999% of the time, anybody who's found a, a nest found one and, and either didn't know what they were looking at or didn't, if they wondered about it, didn't know who to get a hold of, like, who would I talk to about? Or maybe they talked to the forestry department and it didn't go any further than that because I'm all about the tin hat conspiracies. But I mean, I'm just like, no, I mean, it could, you know, oh, okay, so you saw that and they didn't get in <laughs> looked at or whatever. But I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating project. And I, I, I'm going to change gears here. Is there anything else you want to go over on the the nest before I take hold of the steering no, wheel and it. whip it around violently yeah. in another direction. Yeah, I'll let you uh, finish out the show here, but I'm, you know, I have literally big four reports on my back door and stuff, so it's it's uh, where I'm at. So, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of speaking engagements this year, which I do enjoy and I love going to, but I really am passionate about making out to the woods whenever I can, uh, whether it's just hiking or camping and you know, my wife hates me doing the solo stuff, but you know what? That's part of life, and when you're in, really involved in this research, you do a lot of solo camping and hiking and everything else. You're cautious about it. You're careful about it, but it's just part of the part of this thing. So, um, yeah, you never know where you're going to find me. Call me Waldo. Uh, I could be anywhere, any given time, uh, specifically in the state I of Washington. calling you hardcore. <laughs> well, I, you know, there's a lot of hardcore people out there, and I respect them, and and I know they're, uh, you know, specifically speaking about the uh, investigators involved with this research. There's a ton of core individuals out there that I respect, but I, I collaborate with, and, you know, um, you won't see it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of these other social media sites. You know, there's a lot of people talking. You might see Not it, it in exclusive. Anybody, but it is what it is. You might see it in exclusive, <laughs> yes, because… I appreciate the exclusive members. Those are individuals to me, straight up, are interested in the subject, and you know, and I'm proud to say that they're interested in 
hearing what I have to say or you have to say, Gunner, or Thomas or Julie or Craig, um, that, you know, I'm man, makes me proud to, to say that. Uh, and that's something special. Um, not that we're experts in anything, but they feel like there's something more to it. And I'll tell you what, I'm doing my dangdest to uh, to really research the subject matter. You know, I'm not saying I'm perfect, I'm right or I'm wrong. But, you know, if you're interested in following the research of the OP or myself or any of these individuals, yeah, I mean, that's the place to be um, because that's kind of like the vetting source for me. And that's why I'm comfortable sharing stuff in that group and, and um, with exclusive in general because these are individuals that are really interested in the subject matter, and there's no BS there. To me, exclusive feels like sitting around a campfire with a bunch of friends talking about Bigfoot. And uh, which is one of the things I, um, when it was brought to my attention or our attention, like, you know, you guys aren't doing the Sunday shows like you were, and uh, we missed that. And like, you know what? That was one of the funnest things for me to do. And sometimes you guys don't know what, sometimes we've agonized about, well, well, what are we going to talk about? But I'm like, you know what? Anytime I get on the phone with Shane or Julie or Thomas or, or Craig, I can talk about Bigfoot. It, Ask, ask Susan or Jake. I can talk to, about Bigfoot for hours on end, much to the dismay sometimes of, of my family. <laughs> but, but like, hey, it's time to come out of the grocery right. store. I, ran, I just ran into um, a, a gentleman in the grocery store. I have, you know, everybody should know by now that I have Sasquatch Coffee, www.squatchcoffee.com. Go get you some coffee to drink in the woods. I'm in there, like, working the coffee, putting coffee on the shelf, and this guy's like, oh, I was, yeah, I was talking to one of the store employees about the coffee, and he's asking me about stuff, and I say, yeah, I do this podcast, and and this this guy, like, I overheard you stop talking about that, and and his, he and I get to talk, and his name's Adam, and uh, next thing you know, Adam and I are having this, you know, conversation, and uh, we're becoming friends, and, and I found out where he was working, he's... He lives. He works in an area that's like Bigfoot Central to me. It's like out in the middle of the woods, and he joins exclusive. And now he's sitting around the campfire with us, the the virtual campfire, and uh, he's talking. He's really excited about uh, um, Bigfoot, and um, he's planning on trying to make it to the Seattle event. As uh, uh, I did want to let people know that if you're a member of exclusive your um, admission to the event in Seattle is already paid for. You're invited to come and hang out with us, and um, we're doing uh, a town hall and mini-conference. That's what I'm calling it, mini-conference. We're doing a like a one-day deal. We're going to have some presentations, speakers. I know Mark Marcel is going to join us. Um, Shane's going to be presenting. Thomas and um, Craig and I are all going to, give a little some presentations on what we're doing and what our investigations look like. And as well as we're going to um, Julie is working with Dave Ellis to put on a present to create a presentation about the stuff going on in her area in North Carolina that we're going to, to present to the audience. So very limited um, seating where it's our first official venture into uh, doing a, a conference. We plan on doing some more in the future. Um, I'm excited about the town hall thing. It's always been one of my favorite things, like on finding Bigfoot or talking to witnesses has always been fun for me. Um, so come, if you can make it to June 8th at the uh, Daybreak Star 
Convention Center yeah, in the heart of downtown Seattle. You can go to our website and get tickets, and we're going to have a few vendors if you're interested. There's a, a link for vendors on our website as well as you can buy tickets. Um, 15 bucks for adults, super cheap. Um, kids, 5 bucks, 12 and under. If So bring the whole family. Come and, and join us. Um, if you have Bigfoot encounters that you want to share, we're looking. We'll line you up, and uh, we're going to – we're excited to share those things with with y'all. Um, look forward to seeing you and uh, getting out in the field. Like Shane, I this is Sasquatching season for me. I'm really looking forward to tr- getting back to the area. If you've listened to, um, you'd have to actually listen to exclusive where a friend of mine um, witnessed a Bigfoot takedown an elk. I'm going to get to the location where that happened, look for bones, look for evidence, and uh, we'll be sharing that inside of Exclusive. Go If you want to join Exclusive, go to www.monsterxradio.com, click on Join Exclusive, and you can become an X. And uh, we look forward to seeing those folks at Seattle and upcoming events and events around the Pacific Northwest and everywhere. So for my good friend Shane Corson, This is Gunnar Monson for Monster X Radio. We'll talk to you soon. Keep it squatchy. Go out in the woods. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.